today I have one of my all-time favourite people in. Oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> He's Sweet. a comedian. He has a podcast with one of his best mates still. Yes. He's an audience warm-up man. Yes. It's he's also got his own catchphrase as well. Yes. Comedy. <laughs> Which ben, I'm not feeling it at the moment. <laughs> ben Lomas, welcome to the show. Uh, thank How you. Thanks. You? Yeah, thanks, Dan. Uh, thanks, Hamid. Uh, thanks uh, for both having me uh, in a studio that I've yet to use, but I have a desk here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's a very day. It's very nice to be here. Um, and it's good to. Uh, start the conversation because I like talking to new people. Mm-hmm. I think it's, yes. a, it's a great thing. And uh, and especially considering uh, yesterday I had arguably one of the most frustrating days I think I've had in a while. Really? Yeah, tell us about yeah. it. So I came back. So long story short, I went away with my family. We had two separate cars because I was coming back. I was um, on, on, uh, on a drama on ABC. So I was uh, doing shoots out in Mount mm-hmm. Buller. Uh, long story short, we had a lovely weekend in Tacoma, did Puffing Billy and all that. Have you ever done Puffing Billy? No. It's I'm, great. Know, I'm aware of it. It's yeah. in Dandenong uh, Ranges, right? Yeah, so Belgrave kind yeah. of, yeah, yeah in yeah, Dandenong. Yeah. So Puffing Billy, if you don't know, is like an old steam engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's lovely. It's great. Yes. Kids can hang their legs over and uh, and it's it, it was us and um, and every other tourist in Melbourne at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And so we had a lovely weekend and then I, uh, I said, I was like, okay, I'll drive the other car back, you drive family. And I was driving an old car, like my old dad's old car, mm-hmm. and, uh, I, you know, sometimes you know, put the Bluetooth in yeah. and listen to a podcast and drive yeah. home. It's an old car, so yeah. it doesn't have, you can't plug it in. Yeah. And as I was going up on the uh, East Link, um, uh, I was driving up and then suddenly said, Bluetooth not connected. Yeah. I'm like, shit. And then I knew it, I'd left the phone on top of the car oh. and then it just hit the it hit the ground and so I just sort of swerve over on a, on a freeway and then I was like, oh, no, but then I didn't know where it was so I thought oh, I'll loop back around and then I looped back around and I was driving up and I could see it in yeah. front of me and then I saw a car drive over it Yeah, <laughs> and then I put the hazard lights on and just held up a freeway <laughs> to pick up a broken phone <laughs> and you can see it now, look, there's nothing. None of it's working. I've been communicating. Oh, my God. <laughs> communicating. Like, after this, I'm going to try and fix it, save all the photos on it. Oh, man. And at that moment I was like, I, was, I don't know, I was just so annoyed with myself. Like I yeah. just like I'm always good to check the wallet. And at that moment I was like I was trying not to let the whole weekend be an absolute loss. Mm-hmm. But at that moment I was like the level of frustration I felt being such a dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> and then also the reliance of the phone. Yeah. Like my reliance on tech- technology like is just so disturbing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That at that moment I was like, because even then, even before that, so I came from Mount Buller to meet my family in Tacoma and my phone went dead so I didn't have to charge it. Yeah. Have you ever tried yeah. to find a place that you've never been before? <laughs> Without a map, yeah. Oh no, no, that's bad. Yeah, I wouldn't even know how to read a map. That's yeah, because <laughs> after after so many years relying on Google Maps and my phone, I don't think I would know how to read a map. Well, it's funny because because it was going down to like three yeah. percent battery, and then I was just looking. You know how like road numbers have like like a number, so it's yeah. like four hundred two, yeah. four hundred three. So I was looking at like the line that was going down and I was like, okay, 402, 404, 412. If I just follow them, yeah. I'll get into the vicinity and maybe I'll see the road. Yeah. Nope. I took so many wrong turns <laughs> and asking people, like I stopped at a service station and asking people, 
could you look up an address for me? Yeah. Uh, looking like the way I do. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> a lot of pushback. <laughs> like, wow. Especially when I was approaching a woman on her mountain bike and I was like, dark. I was like, hey, can you help me? And she like put the bike in front of her. I was like, of course you would do this. <laughs> I was like, I'm just attacking you. Jeez. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, so it was kind of funny that so like that was last night and then I was like, okay. And so I just dropped the kids off this morning and I was like, yeah, actually I need, I need a circuit breaker. Like I need yeah. something to just stop me from being frustrated. I'm sure after I finish this lovely podcast, I'll yeah. go back to the guy at the phone shop and go, can you fix this? No, great. I'm dropping a thousand bucks on a new <laughs> fucking phone. Yeah. yeah um, what, I, uh, first of all, I am, I sincerely, um, well, you know, <laughs> apologize for your uh, bad luck over the weekend. Oh, I think you need it. I think occasionally <laughs> yeah. you need those kind of things to put things into perspective. Absolutely. Like I mean, I don't think we were expecting one of those uh, types of stories right out the gate, but that was, sounds that was awesome. like a traumatic sort of experience. Well, yeah, in the scheme of things, it isn't that traumatic. <laughs> no. it, it's just it's just frustrating. Yeah, and is. how you deal with that frustration yeah. is where I'm just like, you know, I feel like I'm dealing with it. Okay, but just the annoyance that I am so dependent on on technology. Yeah, yeah. Aren't we all? Yeah, I think we all are. Like, look, I'm. I've been six years in Australia and lived most of my life in Melbourne, and it, I still use navigation every day. I can't. I don't know. Really Toby, this is. I guess that makes more sense. This is not yet still. Well, it's your hometown now. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. But still, you're still learning. Yeah, like, still learning. do you know yeah. where Belgrave is? No. Well, no. sort of now. <laughs> okay. Sort of now. Okay. But like, I know. Like, oh, I'll go up to Dandong, and then it's up there on that side. Do you have a lot of mates in Dandong? No, no. Okay. I just go there because it's pretty, and you know, there's. there's well, you got the thousand steps there. Mm. I've never done that before. Yeah, and they've got Dandrong Ranges, and they've got a bunch of other stuff as well. I take pictures. I love photography. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. just go up there, and they've got this. Um, um, they have a park. I forgot Al- Albert Alfred Nicholas Park. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. up there, right? It's and stunning. It's, mm. it's beautiful, and during uh, autumn time, it's just. I mean, it's. I don't know if you have this, but I do this thing where um, if I find. So we were staying there and I, I've grown up in Melbourne my whole life. I've lived in the inner city. I moved from North Carlton to Brunswick. Like I didn't move yeah. far. <laughs> and then I look at, you, know, you go out and you stay, like stay at an Airbnb and then I find myself, I guess, at the age of early 40s that I thought maybe, maybe I'll buy something. Up here. <laughs> and then you start like going on domain and you're looking at yeah. properties and you're like, I... I can't spend $1.4 million yeah. on, a, on a tree change. <laughs> like I'd still have to travel in the city all the time for yeah. gigs. Yeah. So. Yeah. Expensive stuff up there, <laughs> definitely. So where are you from? I'm yeah. from Doncaster. Doncaster? Yeah. Okay. So Doncaster, that, that's one of those ones where before the freeway yeah. extension, yeah. that felt like a mile away. Mm. Like that felt so far away. Now that's what? 15 minutes? Yeah. yeah, it's probably – so I catch a bus into the city, which just goes straight down the eastern freeway, not – more than 20 minutes to get See, to the you city. catch that. I've been fascinated yeah. with that bus for years. The 907, yeah. Yeah, I'm always like, because it's weird. When you see a bus on the freeway, freeway yeah. it feels weird. Yeah. yeah. When you see like a public transport bus, I'm like, on a freeway. where are those people going? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's it's so convenient. Yeah, because you wouldn't have too many stops. It's not like you'd you know, no. the Two, two stops and then straight down the Eastern Freeway, then, yeah, See, that's bang great. into the city. Yeah. It's, I, I've always – because when I went to uni, I studied town planning and so I remember I was quite fascinated. We had to do this, like, project. So if you take – for people who aren't from Melbourne, uh, you take the Eastern Freeway and it used to stop at Doncaster Road. Like mm. you, had, you had to used to go through Doncaster 
Then they extended it, which is East Link, and then it goes under the Mullen Mullen, yeah. which is the big sort of park underneath there. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a, as a uni student, we'd go out there, and I was a bit of a greenie, and so they had to remove a lot of trees. And I remember just talking to people in Doncaster going, you know, how do you feel about mm-hmm. the freeway? Expecting everyone to go, yeah, we want to save the park. <laughs> Not one person. <laughs> they were just yeah. like, no, it'll increase the value of our property yeah. we can get to the city <laughs> in 20 <laughs> minutes. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. My inner city greenie. I mean, so... <laughs> I watch um, Hard Quiz and The Weekly every week. Yes. And there's quite a familiar laugh that I hear yes. week after week. Yes. Which is yours. That is my very, laugh. Very distinctive laugh. And whenever I sit down and watch one of those shows, I tell myself, oh, that's Ben Lomas. Yes, it is. <laughs> so- uh, yes. I'm, I'm the... I'm the go-to warm-up guy uh, for television studio audiences. So uh, if you don't know what a warm-up comedian is, I'm like a fluffer in a porn film. <laughs> Get the audience all excited. And then I um, you know, I do I do my thing. I love it. Uh yeah. a lot of comedians don't like it mm. uh, because it is it's a hard skill to have. Um, because you've it doesn't matter how you're feeling, uh, you have to keep the audience all excited and warm and then the show starts. Mm. And so that's um and I love it because it gives me opportunity to try new material. Oh, I've been to a few of those tapings where you're yeah. um there as the audience warm-up person and it must be quite a difficult job because you're sort of there warming up the audience, but then you get cut off by All the, time. The, the, the stage manager. <laughs> oh, we have yeah. to set up this next next shot, but oh, we need you again to you know why we yeah. set up another shot. It yeah. Well, I try to people try to explain it. It's like is it is it stand up comedy? I was like absolutely not. Yeah, it's no. like nothing like it. No. Is it like him saying? Well, that's maybe probably the closest thing to it. But even then, yeah, you don't have really a control of when you start and when yeah. you stop. So the closest thing I can compare it to is I'm like a street performer. <laughs> like you're continually not really yeah. starting your show. You're always like, you know, you're trying to get people in, get people excited, and then engaged. you sort of change pace. And Because when you see a street performer, it's actually quite a frustrating <laughs> performance because yeah. you're waiting around. You're like, when is he going to start this fucking show? Like when is he going to start? And then, and then he never does. And I think people – and that's the whole trick to it. But, you know, you tell a story – but by the time you get to it, mm. you know, people are invested in the story, but you've been cut off 16 times that it doesn't really matter what the final punchline is. Mm. Um, they're just excited. But, I mean, in, in anything, like I MC a lot in comedy clubs and, you know, warm-up doesn't pay very, very well, but it's MCing through the day. Mm. And with two kids, I'd rather be at home mm. do, with them than just being out every night. Because as a mm. comedian, you could perform every night mm. if you wanted to. But then you're just like, oh, you're on the road, which yeah. is something I used to do, but I don't do as much because, you know, with a young family, I'd rather be home. Maybe when they're older, I might do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just I'd rather be at home because, you know, they grow up so quickly and before it, you know it, it'll, it'll be over. Is is that sort of job uh, a close enough uh, to a nine to five as it gets as a comedian? Um, yeah. Even though they record in the afternoon. I, th- yeah. I, th- I think nine to five for comedians is ones who write for TV yeah, shows. Yeah. So I think that's the closest they have. But, um, you know, like, it, I've, you know, I've had so many different types of jobs. Like I've worked in a warehouse as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I worked in a, ha- uh, in a, in the Netherlands. I worked in a warehouse. When was it? 1999. Wow. Um, and I was like doing my gap year mm-hmm. and it was like, it was like a supermarket except it was like for like for offices. So it'd be like milk, bread and all that kind yeah. of stuff that they would order and then yeah. I fed it. And I absolutely loved it. But also it was like my first sort of different job outside, you know, high school. Mm-hmm. And then I was working and hanging out with people that were older than me, different backgrounds. And and I remember working particularly in 
that warehouse is it was the first year they had the first Big Brother. Right. Mm. And so because for people that don't know, Big Brother started in the Netherlands. So yeah. by a company, by a man called John DeMole. And so in Shine is a big company and he started that. So mm. like shows like The Voice, yeah. all that kind of stuff he invented. Mm. And so I remember we were in a warehouse and I was like, where are these guys? And I was just, you know, you know, just living by myself for the first time and in a different country. And I remember um, uh, Bart and Sabina were these two people on Big Brother and they finally had sex like in a cardboard <laughs> box but like half the country watched it. It was so weird. Yeah. And there was this sexual tension between them and they yeah. finally hooked up. Yeah, yeah. And I remember we had lunch and there was like, you know, five truck drivers, four guys from the warehouse, uh, three women from the office and then our boss came in with all these cakes and we like, usually that was for someone's birthday. And he goes, no, no, uh, the cake, yeah, we want to celebrate. Uh, Bart finally <laughs> fucks Sabina. Yeah, yeah. And then we cheered and went hip, hip, hurrah. Uh, and then we ate cake. And it was the weirdest <laughs> thing to eat cake, cake to celebrate people we don't know having sex on television. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was like, oh, wow, is every warehouse job like this? Like that. <laughs> so, you, yeah. You mentioned the Netherlands there. I, I know you lived there for quite a while. So what uh, – Oh, I was born there. Oh, you were born there. Okay. Yeah. yeah right. So I was born over there, migrated with my parents in the eighties. And then uh, and then we just we used to go back all the time. So right. we have like grandparents over there. Uh did uh, grade six over there, then went back over gap year, then lived again when I was in my mid twenties. Mm. So I have a strong connection with it. Mm. Um uh but yeah, with COVID, I haven't been back in like six years. Mm. So I'm um, hopefully going back this year. So, what yeah. is the culture like over there? Because I, I don't know much. Painfully white and middle class. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's two countries, and Australia's a bit like this as well. You have Melbourne, and then the rest of Australia. Mm. In Holland, you have Amsterdam, which is yeah. extremely multicultural. It is, yeah. and then the rest of the country, mm. which isn't. Mm. And so it's fascinating mm. because for having quite liberal. Uh, laws and stuff like you know, it's you know, from smoking pot to euthanasia to gay marriage, which they've had for like twenty odd years. Yeah. It's it's quite liberal, but then you actually leave the cities and you go, oh, actually quite conservative. So yeah, it's um, right. I love it, like, and I love going back there. But it's yeah, we 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 might try and live there for a year, but um, but I do still have a strong connection with it. I still feel Dutch. Mm. Um, I still speak the language. I still watch it on TV and stuff. But, yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like at the moment now um, my connection with the country is less because I just haven't been there mm. in a long time. And I, I want the kids to know where I came from, where their grandparents came from, where their great-grandparents came from. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to going back and, um, and seeing it from a different perspective. Mm. Do you think you'd be able to integrate quickly back into the culture if you were there for a year? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I'm I'm still I'm still Dutch at heart. Yeah, like I, yeah. I do I do love it. I do love you know the cycling culture and uh, and look the Dutch are really upfront. Mm. Which is good and bad. You know, <laughs> they'll tell you if you're looking like shit, you know, <laughs> like it's just the way they are, which I like because you know it's in in Australia where uh, we're not it takes a while to get to know someone. They're in Holland. You know what they stand for within the first twenty seconds of talking to them. Yeah, I'd say that's a good thing. Mm. Yeah. So, where are you usually from? So, I'm from North India. North India. North okay, India. North India. Yeah. I've been to India before. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, one of my really good friends, Vishal, is yeah. from India, but from Kerala. So, mm. you know, the rich yeah. end. Yeah. And uh, and the only time I've been to India is uh, for a wedding. 
Oh wow, awesome! That must that, that is the uh, that's the only experience you want to have when you go there. It's like weddings are awesome. Yeah, you see, get to see the culture right there in front of you, and you're a part of it. Yeah. So, are you Punjabi then? I am. Yeah. Yeah. So it's and I found India. Like I've never had the want to go over there. Yeah. And then my mate Vishal sent out the invites, mm. and he you know, went to America, then did uni here, mm-hmm. and his family's based in uh, was it Kochi Fort? I think it is, mm-hmm. and. Um, and I remember I was fascinated because I was like, he invited all of us mm. and thinking that only like a handful of us come and all 34 of us <laughs> said yes. up. <laughs> because he comes from the Rajah class. Oh, wow. So, so he had money. Oh, so his geez. parents had money. Yeah. And so they paid for the common. All we had to do was get over there and they covered the rest. And I was like, well, that's yeah. insane. And so people, people, when I got back, I only went for like two weeks because then we did uh, sort of the honeymoon party in like Goa and stayed in this insane house mm. and mm. went to these ridiculously big parties with Russians and Israelis. Goa, uh, Goa is like Bali of India. Exactly. That is Bali of India. It, it isn't really India. Like part of me just feels like it's the bar, like it's just so... Way too many foreigners. That yeah, totally. So many people there. Like, so many where? Russians. <laughs> so many Russians, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's crazy. Old, yeah. I mean, we, we were just talking about because that's like I think 10 years, we celebrated 10 years that they got married. But I remember coming back and asking like people like, oh, how was it? Mm. Because I just went there. That's it. Like, I didn't go anywhere. I went to Kerala, went on a houseboat, <laughs> got treated like a king. Yes. Then went to this amazing wedding. We stayed at resorts. Mm. Then we had the wedding that went for four days, which was amazing. Oh, yeah. Fed an elephant, a whole bunch of, uh, you know, bananas. Yeah. Then went to go and then flew home. And so when people were like, oh, how did you deal with the poverty? And I was like, what poverty? <laughs> what poverty? <laughs> and people don't realise that, that um, back back home it's it's so different than what people see on media as well oh, totally. uh, it's totally different and <clears throat> there's part of it that i don't know if you get to do you experience that every state is so different from the other state see i didn't experience it all i did oh, was, yeah. was was kerala kerala yeah and so therefore you know like someone's explained to me that the highest rate of literacy is in south yeah is south in, in, and in kerala in particular yes so a lot of educated people mm. like one of the most most painful white privilege moments I ever had was all of us had got just here on Sydney Road. We got like, you know, we got all the outfits done, right? Yeah. And then we get to Kerala and they were like, someone goes, oh, let's go to this big supermarket like or this big shopping centre. Mm. And then I remember it was like, you know, eight, you know, ten big, tall white guys walking in and as soon as they saw us it was just like mm, we are going they're going to drop a bomb here and then we were just like shopping there was all this stuff and then i hear this mate just scream out from the background oh my god we can accessorize <laughs> we're like we can get handbags we can get shoes and we all just threw the rest of our costumes and then we're just getting fitted by like four guys who were helping us yes and it was just like at the moment now it's like this is what it feels like to be king and it felt Bad, but at the moment I was like, I should just enjoy this as well because mm. they were being so hospitable and and so lovely. And then I just remember at the time because people go, oh, do you ever want to go back? I have no urge to go back. Mm. Like just because yeah. I think I'd be very confronted with the poverty yeah. and people yeah. go, well, it's actually something you probably should experience. Mm. But a part of me is like, I don't know, I just like being locked away in my own bubble. <laughs> you, yeah, you'll see, you'll see both sides of the world. It's two sides of the coin. You'll see that and the beautiful part as well. Yeah. But I think what you experienced there that just said that wedding that you experienced from coming from a, like a Raja um, 
background. That's the thing that they show in movies. That's exactly how yeah. they think. And that's exactly what you must have experienced it. Oh, it was crazy. I, and the whole time I was like, how are they covering all this? Like the cocktail party where, you know, and like, you know, typically in this wedding, all uh, Michelle's like dad, all his business partners. Yeah. Vibe. So the yeah. first night, rather than the, it was all of it was like the engagement party kind of, and it was all business parties from mm. everywhere, from Saudi Arabia to everywhere. They all came in, and there was one guy we remember just got too drunk. Yeah, so I got too drunk, and he was re- he was there on behalf of his father who couldn't make the wedding, but was representing you know a very close family, yeah, uh, business partnership. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. And he got drunk. He was just so excited mm. to just hang out with us, but he made a bit of a dick out of himself, and we thought it was hilarious. <laughs> but the apologies, yeah, that came flooding in from the dad the next day, and the wow. shame, and so, and he he didn't care, but it, because it was part of like, yeah, you can't do that, mm. yeah. and it was so fascinating yeah. to be part of that. It was like it was the first day, <laughs> the first day it just felt like a massive networking session <laughs> yes it's uh it is but again i think <clears throat> the it's four day events is a big big thing have you experienced did you get to experience like four different yeah. occasions yeah yeah exactly yeah. so it was four different locations and then even the the actual ceremony ceremony just went for hours like with all the yeah. what are they call that not priests but uh there well the technical word would be pundits yes yeah. Yeah, yeah. so there was like you know four of them doing yeah. smoking ceremonies yeah, and yeah, yeah. us having really no idea we had one uh, family member would kind of explain mm. stuff but there was so much stuff going on mm. and then um and then yeah, again every time we just, you'd stop halfway through and then just eat off this you know, amazing food off this <laughs> banana leaf yes <laughs> we're yeah, just yeah, like yeah. you know and then you know the night the, the spoons come out for the westerners yeah. <laughs> would you believe that to me is foreign a hundred percent it's so foreign. I've never experienced that in my life. Yeah. I've had and that food. No, don't get me wrong. But I've never get to experience that. And it's it pains me that coming from a, such a multi-diverse and rich country, we never travel there. We just want to just get out of there. I don't know why. <laughs> totally. But but that's what I found fascinating over there is that there is such a class difference. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, you know, that people would know straight away that you're Punjabi. Yes. It's and, poor. Middle class or super rich? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> no in between. There's no, yeah. yeah. And so I found that <laughs> and I didn't know any different. Because yeah. here it's just like, I don't know, I sometimes, yeah, there's definitely a class system here, which is, you know, based maybe quite often generational. Mm. But that's why, you know, like, you know, speaking of podcasts and starting podcasts, yeah. it's like, you know, like there's a lot of, um, you know, I'd love to do like a parent podcast. Yeah. Um, but sometimes when you see podcasts, it's always uh, people talking to uh, really successful people about parenting. Yeah. And I have this, and I have, I really want to do one where I talk to, you know, Keith, who's 25, who's a really good hands-on mm. dad, but he's only on 60 grand a year and he's got to cover down a mortgage and somehow makes it work. Yeah. Like I'm really fascinated with those stories because I think quite often when you listen to podcasts, you want to hear inspirational chats and and I'm one to do that, or it's a you know it's a funny podcast or a financial podcast. But occasionally, I want to hear other people's stories that are just normal yeah. people who don't want to chase fame, who mm. don't want to, you know, mm. you know, you know what yeah. I mean, like just the just the, regular old people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes that's getting lost because even if you do have a podcast like that, you know, getting people to listen to it, you know, like you know, there's a, there's a podcast I started listening to which was. Um, the glitch. Have you listened to that? I, I've heard of it. I have not heard it though. But it was just like a good story yeah. where it's a guy who found out that he could get free money from the ATM, 
and he just went on free money from the ATM. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and it was a glitch in his in his uh, in his card, and he ended up blowing one point six million dollars, and then he couldn't deal with the guilt and gave himself up. And it's a fascinating story, but it's just like a young guy. And I kind of like those stories where it's like how much it's embellished but, you know, like, I, you know, it seems legit and they might do a movie about it. But I think that's why sometimes when you do do these kind of podcasts mm. it's nice to – because are you guys married? We're <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're, we're just friends. No. Just friends. Yeah, we're just friends. We're just oh, no, like, I didn't think you two were married. <laughs> that's what you thought. I was like, Dan. That's what I just thought. And that I was, was like, great. no, no, no. I said <laughs> – I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong. There is some amazing tension in this room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm very young. I'm 25. And I was thinking oh, about yeah, the you're guy. you're super young. I was thinking about that guy. I can't imagine being 25 and having a kid. And as you said, 60 grand a year. Right now, I have two jobs. I do a podcast. I do photography on the sides. I have four things going on. And I'll still be like, I need more money. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think sometimes, and I, my partner's got a great expression, which um, whenever we're talking about money, um, she just goes money shmoney yeah. uh, because for her it doesn't have the same weight, right? Mm. And, and then money does give you options, absolutely. Mm. There's no disputing that. But I grew up with a family with not much money and so quite often it does consume mm. too much of how I think, like, oh, mm. how much are we getting for this gig? How much are we going to make this month? Like it can be quite obsessive. Mm. And I think sometimes, you know, and especially in the last couple of years, for me in particular, that, you know, health, which I struggle with, be it my weight or, you know, whatever it is, um, that's your most valuable asset. Mm. And I think I've neglected that. You know, sometimes I focus on it, sometimes I don't. And I think sometimes I just like I wish my want to hustle for money Mm. is the same. uh, uh, I wish I had the same sort of, um, what's the word, sort of, uh, want to do the same with my health. Yes, yeah. And I think, um, you know, 25 is so young. Money is such a a hard obsession to just drop as well because how do you survive otherwise? How do you get from A to B? <laughs> totally, but there's a, there's a great stat where yeah. I think, I don't know what the figure is, but there's a figure where you earn a certain amount of money and after that it doesn't really make you any happier. No. Yes. I don't know what that figure is. Yeah. I should find out. and then I'm going <laughs> to say, given the 2023 inflation, I would say after 20 million, I don't think your life would be different. After 20, 20 million. <laughs> I don't know, just 20. Well, I, I don't know if you guys do this. I did this with my grandmother and I sort of kept the tradition. Uh, it used to be 20 million, but I think now it's like, I think we do it when it's like 30 or 40 million. I mean, if it's something insane, I buy a tats ticket, right? I do, I do buy it. Mm. Um, but I just purely do it for the activity of what would we do? Yeah. yeah. Oh, just like yeah. joy. Yeah, and the yeah. joy and yeah. that feeling. Yes. Of playing that game with my partner. It's something we still do. And we just talk about yeah. it and like, you know, where would we buy a beach house or what kind of house would we want and who would we help out and, you know, you know. You're just creating this story in your mind. Yeah. yeah which- like I have this one where it's like my best friend, one of my best friends lives in Holland and I always had this like, he's like a musician and I was, always had this idea that like one day, say one like a hundred million or whatever and I would just rock up, mm. right, and then, and it's so extravagant because it's just like I'd rock up with three limousines out the front, right? You can't yeah. see what's inside the limousine. Yeah. And so the idea was like, just grab your passport, come out the front. 
Mm. And then whatever limousine he'd pick, I'd have music yeah. like from that country. Yeah. So if it was Senegal, I'd have like a Senegalese band uh, or, you know, like uh, it was like Nashville, I'd have like a terrace. And whatever one he'd pick, we'd go in there and that would be the place we'd be going to. So that would drive <laughs> us to the airport then we'd buy tickets and mm. then go there. But something music-related that he would love. Yeah. And, and, and it's so extravagant because it's just like. Why three limousines? You could just ask. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I know because you paid for like three bands and other things. It was like, I guess they didn't pick us. <laughs> it's so stupid. It is. But that's what I think uh, kind of, because I did that with my grandmother who never had money and uh, grew up extremely poor and we used to just like, her thing was for years, she goes, oh, if I ever want it. I'd, I'd, I'd want to get a, a Jag. Now, I, mm. I, my grandmother didn't get her license until she was like 65 and then didn't really drive. But the only reason she wanted to get a Maroon Jag is it was the same Jag that Pat Rafter's mum got. <laughs> and she kind of looked up to her and thought she was really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, that's so funny. Like you wouldn't drive it. Yeah. You would just look at it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no. I um, So 25, how old are you? I'm 32. 32. Yeah. Both super young. It doesn't feel it though when... When you're in it, but I know if I sort of stepped outside myself and just realized, yes, 32 is young, but it really doesn't feel like it when you're in it, I suppose. Totally. Like if I think when I was 25, I was doing uni. So I was doing uni and I didn't like it and uh, I struggled with it, but I was also managing a hostel. Uh, So I was downstairs or the bar manager of a hostel. So I had so much fun. And then at 32, yeah. if I think about 32. It, was, it feels like it's speeding up more. Well, 32 was a horrible time. Yeah. Like I hated. Yes. From 30 to 33, it was just like that was my worst mental health. Yeah. I struggled. I didn't know what I was doing. I couldn't make it as a comedian. I just hated it. Yeah. And, and, and I had, you know, a lot of mental health issues I just I had to address in, the, in that period. And then eventually I got through it, but it took like three years. Mm. And so, because I reckon at 30 I had like a quarter life crisis or midlife crisis at 30. And when I turned 40, it was just so different. I love turning 40 yeah. but hated turning 30. Mm. And it's like a lot of people say that. You know, a lot of people, you know, struggle. I think a lot of women don't like turning 40 because it's associated with like have you had children or have you not had children. Yeah. And, you know, being or identifying as male, you, you know, you were really lucky because you can have kids whenever the hell you mm. want. Mm. Um, but yeah, so 25, 32, but work in the same place. Yeah, work at the, same, at place, the same place. Yeah. Yeah. We're not married <laughs> to each other. <laughs> 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 that was, I, I was hoping, I thought, I know what the way. you meant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was a microsecond then, just like, we're not married to each other. <laughs> like, oh, damn it, Dan. <laughs> like, ah, oh, I can't have that out there. What will my family think? <laughs> That's uh, funny. Um, yeah. It's. It's so odd having you here in person because it feels like I know you on a personal level, yeah. even though even though this is the first time we've really met. Like I've sort of met you briefly outside of, you know, gigs and yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, seen you at uh, those studio tapings. But yeah. um, the podcast you, you do with uh, Dilrock is yeah. just incredible. It, oh, thank you. It, we, we're very proud of it. Because it's so personal and it's just you've got no sort of shame in letting – your sort of uh, failings and successes out yeah. there to the world. And I think it's – and you guys are much the same. So because you come from different cultural backgrounds, there is that idea and mm. connection, though sometimes I think Dill's wider than I am. <laughs> so, But it's just that thing where I, I, I do like the podcast. And the podcast was great because Dill and I were close 
we were friends beforehand and then we've become a lot closer mm. throughout the uh, the five years of doing it. Um, but also we've changed both so much over that period, yeah. which I think a lot of listeners have listened to us, mm. you know, the struggles of, you know, parenting, uh, the struggles to, um, you know, not being partnered up, mm. which Dill has talked about. Um, it's fascinating because I think our listeners have come along uh, for the ride as well yeah. and, you know, and they've been able to benefit a lot. And we haven't, we haven't, we haven't shied of the way of like it doesn't always work. Like I'm the same weight of when I started the pot, mm. and I'm not happy about it <laughs> at all. Yeah, um, and that's it's re- it's really hard to admit, but it's and better you sort to of admit. see that play out in real time over the over the weeks. You do it as well, absolutely, because yeah. you go, you know, whether it's you know, yeah, you know, I was in hospital for a while, or you know, dealing with the frustrations of the industry, um, or just dealing what it is to be an artist. Like mm. it's just really hard. It's not an easy gig um, and, you know, my partner says it to me a lot, you know, if I knew you were becoming comedian, I would have got out ages ago. <laughs> and it's true. Like yeah. it's true. Yeah. Uh, but then there's pros and cons to it as well. And I think with the podcast in particular is, uh, you know, it's been really nice to connect with listeners mm. and know that it's helped or or know that there's just, you know, it's nice when you do listen to a podcast and, you know, you're there with them, you mm. know, and I always say that, you know, we, we used to get a lot of feedback that a lot of people would listen to us while they did exercise. Yeah. And I think people predominantly want to listen to those stories that they can personally relate to. Yeah, totally. I, I'm the same when I listen to podcasts. Yeah. Like That's why I think it's hard to sometimes – like I like listening to famous people's podcasts and, and, and especially when it's comedians because I'm interested in the craft. But then when you shy away from that and then you listen to – podcast where you just want to listen to people who, um, you know, and doesn't always have to be struggles, but just what else that they're relating to, mm. what, what their view is on, on something at the moment. Like, like, I don't know about you, but like recently for some reason, you know, when you, you hear about a topic and then you get lost into it. Yeah. And so like everyone, AI was freaking me out a bit. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it really was. And then I just didn't understand it or I didn't understand it. And then my friends in IT explained it to me. And then I watched that John Oliver episode um, where he explains AI mm. and it just was so well done mm. and so succinct mm-hmm. that now I'm not scared of it anymore. Right. Do you know what I mean? When sometimes, and I think that's what podcasting is, that when you, it's like just having someone to listen to. If anything, it's like it's the talkback radio for our generation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because a lot of old people just listen to have you ever heard of Macca in the mornings? No, no. <laughs> Too young. Listen to radio. I don't listen there's, to radio. On Sunday mornings on 774, there's this guy called Macca. And he's been on radio and he's like, Sunday's with Macca, right? And it is the worst, right? It's <laughs> arguably the worst. But old people love it and have been listening yeah. to him for like 40 years. Yeah. Like absolutely love it. It's their podcast, I yeah. guess. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's and, and it's and it keeps them company, yeah. especially oldies who've lost their partner. And my and I, and I was listening to it recently because I kind of listened to it, and he's like, uh, and he's always around the country. And he's like, oh, it's Sundays with Macca. Who am I talking to? And it's like, oh, it's Kenny from Toowoomba. You know, they're grey nomads. We're driving through, and it's a beautiful little festival, mm. uh, a lavender festival. Come check it out. Oh, thanks, thanks, uh, Kenny. And then sometimes it doesn't go well, which I yeah. absolutely love. Yeah. And so he goes, yeah. And that was the busy guy. Oh, who am I talking to? It's like, oh, we've got Denise uh, from uh, Dimbula. And I'm like, how are you going, Denise? Anything happening in Dimbula? <laughs> the, the ice cream shop burned last night. Okay, thanks, uh, Denise. All the- <laughs> Actually, you know what? I kind of get that because 
uh, <clears throat> I guess sort of the first foray into my listening of something on the radio was Dave Callan talking to weirdos on oh, Triple J. That was, yeah. I guess that was my first sort of podcast, even though it was for radio. Yeah, it's, I think yeah. for me, um, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. And then for me it was uh, the first radio job, I was Tony Martin and Mick Malloy. Yeah. Uh, and then after that was American Rosso on Triple J, yeah. and so that shows my age. But those two, you know, you just tune in. Mm. Uh, yeah. I would listen to them on the way back from school, just thinking they're so hilarious. Yeah, and I would have never thought that you know now I've been working for Mick for like the last five years on his show, yeah, uh, the front bar, and it's just so funny because I was like, oh, I loved you. Mm. As a kid, and I still think you're so talented, and, and you know he's arguably one of the best comedians. Um, in the world, and he looks after people who work for him. Mm. And I think some people, because he can be quite abrupt, but you know, he he um, he's such a good bloke, and expects a lot. Like when you work for people who are that talented, but if you do your job well, um, then he respects that. And it's just been a pleasure to you know again as a fifteen year old listening yeah. to it. I never thought that you know then as a comedian I would do him work on his show. Oh yeah, and it's- not that I sought that out. Um, but yeah, I think that's at the moment now, and I don't know if you guys have this, but trying to set out the year and work yeah. out. Well, even us doing this, um, I was a massive fan of the Chasers War and everything, and we yeah. had Andrew Hansen in here a few weeks ago, which was mind blowing to me. Yeah, totally. and we talked to a photographer that Herman really likes over the weekend for this podcast, and it was just. It's weird. Crazy. It's weird. It's it is weird. weird. It's very weird. Yeah. But it's also really nice. <laughs> yeah. It's also very nice. And you realize that very quickly that, you know, uh, like, okay. And I think it, there's there's a bit of an imposter syndrome as well. Um, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. No, really just, like, yeah. definitely. <laughs> 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 and, uh, but yeah, I think you have to convince yourself like, okay, well, you have to rise to the occasion and uh, the person's here. We might as well just have a chat. And you've always wanted to ask them questions. Now they're here and let's, let's do let's it. Let's take advantage yeah, of let's it. Take yeah. A hundred percent. And I, and that's what our podcast was as mm. well. It's like, you know, like when you have someone like Glenn Robbins on yeah. or, um, you know, Freddie Flintoff or just people where you're just like, ah, oh, you know, I've seen you, I've watched you on TV, but you know, how does, what makes you tick? What yeah. makes you, I uh, think like even then, like I have this, like I have this orange band on still and I have this band on my right arm and I've been wearing that since I had Glenn Robbins on, uh, on episode 70 really? or whatever it is yeah. because he had this thing where it's like um, no matter how or how bad your day is going, it's like sometimes, you know, you need something to remind you that you're good at this. Mm. And so mm-hmm. sometimes if it's a corporate gig or a warm-up gig that goes for six hours, I sometimes just look at the band and go, you're good at this. You know, it's the reason why you've chosen yeah, to do this. That's beautiful. Um, so therefore, you know, make the most of it. And and uh, I wasn't wearing it yesterday when I dropped the phone. <laughs> that's why. But, yeah, that's why. You were wearing it. But it's those little things when you talk to people that they you, you pick up on, on the way. And I think sometimes when you get to talk to, you know, new people like yourselves, uh, that, you know, it's just a reminder of like it's a very short period yeah. we have here. Hmm. So you might as well uh, do the things that you actually want to do or give it a crack. Yeah. And that's something I didn't realise till later on in life. Like I wish I knew that mm-hmm. at the age of 25. Yeah. If I knew at the age of 25 it's like people go, oh, what would you tell your, you know, your, yes. your, your future mm-hmm. 25? I'd be like, look after your health. Mm-hmm. I'd say don't drink. But I, mean, but I mean that's a bit extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ask. Like ask. 
that's predominantly the major factor I started this podcast. We've had so many people, we have comedians on, we have, um, we have photographers on and other people as well. Then I think when you're young, you don't know what's going on around you. You're just working off of your best guest. Yeah. And uh, you need that perspective from other people. And when you see someone that they did at one po- moment of their life, that did take that leap of faith and just, you know, quit their, their nine to five, because everyone has nine to five. And when they jump onto that, their craft and they do it full time, they go all chips in. I think it motivates you as well. And when you talk to them, totally. you understand that. And also, it, it takes a lot of courage to be able to do that. Like, I, did, Absolutely. I didn't want to do it. Like, I had a full time job mm-hmm. and, and my partner kept telling me to quit because I was so unhappy. I was like, well, there's no point. Like, mm. There's no point. And then I landed a TV show, so it forced me to quit. Now that TV show got cancelled very quickly. Yeah. And then I was left going, well, what am I going to do next? And it's like, well, actually, you might as well give it a go. But then the, the funny thing about it is, you know, what you think your dream job is um, might not even be what you think it is. Like, True. Mm. I, I have moments where I was like, I'm really lucky to be a working comedian. Mm. I'm not on TV, I'm not on radio, and yet I still make it, you know, an okay living. Yeah. It's not huge, nothing compared to what my mates make. They're all, you know, <laughs> killing it. But then at the same time, it's like nine to five wasn't for me. Yeah. And mm. it doesn't mean I won't do it in the future, mm. but it's like what else do I want to do? What else am yeah. I interested in? And then sometimes being more interested in rather than thinking about the income mm. is a nice way to explore something. But it works for you Yeah, well. it, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And you know, like after this, I'll try and get my phone fixed. <laughs> but I also will attempt to try and play a round of golf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you talk about that moment when you did ta- end up taking the leap of faith? And can you talk about what you were doing before and how you had to go to the next step and be like, I'm going to go all in on this? Well, the, the problem is I'd love to say that I made that decision, mm-hmm. but I didn't. And that was the frustrating thing that um, that I think quite often is I still – will put myself in a position where in the end I'm forced to make the decision rather than forcing it myself. So mm. quitting my council job was that I eventually landed a TV show. And to give an example of how much I didn't want to give up that regular income is I was like told that it was going to be like a year contract, you're going to be on TV, you get to write on TV, dream come true, absolutely. Mm. And I'd already been a comedian for like you know six or seven years and couldn't get any roads inroads in. And what I did was I applied to go two days a week at my job mm-hmm. and then I said it was for parenting reasons, you know, else I had to look at my kids. Totally. Mm-hmm. So they had to do it. And then as soon as I got two days a week, I then put in all my long service leave and worked out that I could take off eight months mm. and not lose the job. That's how terrified I was wow. of losing an income, yeah. Like I was so terrified, and I've got a partner that makes an income, but still, it just that 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 security blanket mm-hmm. was so hard to give up. And funnily enough, the the decision that made me quit was because the, my boss, who was amazing and really supportive at the time, George, he said, "You're killing me here because I can't replace you. I'm going to be down one man, mm-hmm. one woman short for the next year. Do you really want to be here?" And I said, absolutely not. Wow. I, I, don't, I don't. Like I don't like being in an office. I was actually working on some really interesting projects and my boss was really good. So he made work fun but I just didn't want to be there. And then because I, I really liked him, that's when I quit. 
Yeah. Oh. And so I'd love to have like a big song and dance yeah, about yeah. how, it, you know, I, I changed. And that's the same with the podcast. Yeah. Like the only reason I lost weight was it because we had a bet. Yeah. And that forced me to do it. What I'd like to think is, and whether I can change this, is that, you know, I, I'm one to chip away at things, but to make big decisions in that moment, I still find so hard. Mm. I just find it really hard. And, and you know, and stemming back from why that's the case, you know, I don't know. But, yeah, like that, that moment, like I remember leaving the job that day and it was the greatest feeling. Like it was the greatest feeling of walking out of Wait that off office. Your shoulders. Yeah. But weight off your shoulders is it's a weird I've only ever experienced that once. Like mm. that's the only time I've ever experienced like the actual weight off my shoulders. I felt free. Yeah. Leaving the or and excited because mm. I didn't know what was happening next. Mm. Like I was to embark on this TV show, which ended up being extremely stressful. But, you know, at that moment I felt free. The only time I've genuinely felt things drop off my shoulders was the birth of my child. So the first half time my and I, and I didn't know what that feeling was, but when when you know, when I had my child, so many of what I thought were problems and worries just disappeared. Mm. And that for me is one of the most freeing moments because you're like, oh, so much doesn't matter yeah. because yeah. you've got to look after this little amazing that you love. You don't know why you love it. You just feel yeah. it. Mm. And I always think that's for me the closest thing of just losing, yeah. um, you know, the, yeah, the weight off your shoulders. But, yeah, leaving work and pursuing something else different was really, really exciting. And I think at the moment now I'm at a bit of a crossroads at the moment where I'm like, you know, what's next for me? Like I love doing the warm-up. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, you know, fun doing this acting, you know, being in part of a drama. Mm -hmm. But I do need stuff to continually uh, challenge me a bit mm -hmm. but also do something different. Different, yes. Um, because then, you know, I think I was able to stay at council for so long because I was doing stand-up on the side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when I, that started, you know, being more full-on, you know, I was you know, doing 18-hour days. Mm. Yeah. So it's that yeah. thing where it's like, you know, you know, what's next? What do I want to pursue? Um, and then, you know, you, know, you just don't have that much time left yeah. in this. And because I had a health scare, I'm just like I'm very happy that every day I'm feeling good and I'm feeling good. I'm walking around and, and uh, and you know, like the weekend away with my family, it's like, you know, I, I nearly wasn't able to go but I was able to logistically make it work because I know that if I missed out on that weekend, mm. I would, it would just it would have killed me. Yeah. Because mm. I'd be like, oh, that's where I want to be. I want to be. You know, with the kids or, you know, I'm puffing billing and all that kind of jazz. So that's why, you know, 25 and 32, it's so funny. The difference for me in those ages of where I was at 25 and 32 yeah. are so different. Yeah, I think I'm at the crossroads right now as well that uh, when I came to Australia, I was 18 and now I'm 25. And I've spent my all my uh, years here just working and just trying to progress through. Yeah. I never went to, oh, I'm going to get a uni, I'm going to get a degree, I'm going to get a job. Um, so now I'm at that crossroad that I realized I should have studied because I had so much time back then. Yeah. And now I'm at the crossroad that should I go study and get a traditional, I, I don't want to study because I, that'll get me a job. I want to study because I'd learn. I'm very hungry for learning. Yeah, so, that's great. And now I'm thinking, should I just join a company and just progress that and have this or other things on the side? So I'm at, I'm at that stage of where like, I need to make a decision soon or life would just swallow me into a place that... <laughs> but how many Punjabi friends that you've had over the time where you're like, what are you studying? I was like, it's either accounting, hospitality management or uh, IT. 
I don't think that um, I would. Because I remember like meeting those guys when yeah. I was working. It was always one of those three. Yeah. And I was like, do you want to do anything else? Like I remember. Let me explain you that why that must have happened. Um, sometimes or most of the times when international students come here, they would, the basic thing that they, the core thing that they're coming to this oh, country to study, yeah. to mm. study yeah. not, sorry, not to study, but to actually settle. Yeah. So mm. they're coming here to settle down and have a better future for themselves. So they have to pick up a study that would get them PR, permanent residency yeah. of Australia, yeah, right? So that they stay in those sectors. And once they get into that, they have to like, okay, well, I've done the study. I might as well just work. And accounting and all those things pay you really well. Really well. So they keep, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think, and I, I'm, I think it's okay to say I got a lottery ticket. I think I was 14 when um, my mom actually applied her visa and was very young. So because she got her permanent residency, I just got it by yeah. by itself. So I was already a resident of Australia and I didn't, those international routes didn't apply to me at all. That's amazing. I was a free person. It, it, it was a lottery to me at all. Yeah. And if that didn't happen, I didn't know what I was, what I was doing because I don't come from a place of, you know, resources. And I was just being flipping burgers at Macca's or some shit. Yeah. Um, but I think now I'm here, I think I need to make the best out of it. So I've always had that hunger and hustle since day one I've been here. Yeah. It slows down and, you know, shit takes a toll on you as you're growing. But now I'm thinking, I generally don't know what my next step is, but I think... But like photography, for instance, that is a hard game. It is. It is such mm. a hard game for a friend of mine who's a professional photographer who has exhibitions and does it, but his bread and butter still is weddings. His bread and butter is still weddings and he produces some of the most amazing photos that he's travelled around in South America. And his exhibition, uh, Drew Eckberg, amazing photographer, and and then sometimes you're like, you know, sometimes you know, I've got to do, I've got to do these jobs to make ends meet. But knowing that I can still do that still keeps him going. But it's a, it's a hard game. When I got into photography, I knew where a photographer, I don't know how, how and why, I knew where this was leading and I knew that it would be very hard for me to monetize it. And I might as well never do it for the reason that when I'm with my camera and tripod in front of a beautiful scene, time and space doesn't exist for me. Yeah. And I just want to do that for myself. I might as well start a business or create something or have a job and then do that. It would be very beneficial for me to get that full time. But I don't think it's possible with AI coming in where the technology is going and everyone is a good photographer. I don't know if you've noticed. People take amazing pictures. It's amazing. And then uh, there's, I was thinking of a friend of mine who was a town planner and he started a small business where he was, it was like before it was a thing to take amazing photos with iPhones. Uh, but he did, and then he created a small business where he took photos uh, for real estate agents. Oh, yeah, yeah, real estate mm. photography. And then I remember there was a small time where he was just doing that and it was a nice little side hustle. Mm. But then, of course, other real photographers <laughs> got on board and then now real estate agents, I mean, they do it themselves half the time. So mm. it's just so funny that in those things, especially with AI, it's like, you know, what is it going to take over next, and what you know, what do you what do you use it? Um, you know, who knows? There might be an AI warm up. Well, it's a, it's a big um, writers. A, I think there's a massive writer strike happening in America right now. And yeah, their big thing is AI generated scripts. Yeah, which is 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 going to be a thing. Which is scary. It's scary. But I think that's what I liked about yeah. John Oliver. Is that he talked about how you know number one of the list uh, that AI would take over is lawyers, but as he says, it's like yeah. But it'll be, the difference is there'll be lawyers who refuse to work with AI and there'll be mm -hmm. lawyers who are willing to work with AI. Mm -hmm. And I think that's 
I agree with that. It's like, you know, they're talking about it's going to be the next big change, like the internet, that AI is. It's like what you do and how you work with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, I'm trying to accept that a little bit more, especially with kids. Like I don't want to get to a point where my kids have got a phone and, you know, they've got an AI friend. I know that's that's creepy as fuck, but... (laughs) But I don't know, like that idea of just, you know, having an understanding of what it is, how it is, mm. how it develops. And I'm not a smart man. Like I am not, I never have been and I never will be. But at the same time, I'm still happy to try and have an understanding of things. Mm. And with that, it's like, you know, I was you know, sort out information or, you know, it has to be con- concise. I'm not a big reader. Like I listen to a lot of audio books, but I'm, mm, yeah. I've never enjoyed reading. Mm. Um, and that's because I struggled like as a kid with all that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, I don't know, like, you know, starting something like this um, and then, you know, seeing where it goes mm. is you, you learn a lot from that as well. 100%. Like, and that's, that's part of it as well. Like, you know, at the moment now, you know, I was, I'm trying to walk a bit more, but like I've just become absolutely obsessed with golf and yeah. it's and I was something I was loved when I was a kid um, and then now I've just fallen to this <laughs> pattern of just you know just obsessing over or wanting to get better at it mm. and and I'm really enjoying that like just enjoying mm. getting lost into something like yeah. that again and not worrying about where it's going to lead to yeah. or what it is well now. when we started this we didn't procrastinate because if we told each other, oh, yeah, we'll do it a month from now, we'll do it three months from now, we'll never do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, you know, whether you study or not, mm-hmm. um, I reckon you should. Yeah, um, it's just I think if you, if you want to learn, then the best way to learn is to study. Mm. Um, you, know, you can consume a lot off the internet and stuff, but if it's I'm for someone, it needs to be structured. Yeah, I need deadlines. Mm, I need, yeah. I need yeah. you know, that's why I do the comedy festival every year. It's not that I expect some you know, director to come and go, I'm going to put him in a movie. It's like, no, no, I need that deadline Mm. to write. Mm. If I don't have that deadline, then, you know, I can stick back on my 45 minutes of gold uh, to an audience that's never seen me before, but then you become stale. Mm -hmm. And so I just need that deadline. And I've started writing again and it's horrific. Mm. You know, bombing on stage on a Tuesday. Uh, Yeah. Can I ask that the craft that you do right now, it's a bit different to traditional stand-up comedy a tiny bit different while you were doing it or while you were in the process of doing it did you are you like a try to read the audience person do you ever try to understand the psychology of the audience deeply so that you can you know prepare them for the upcoming acts yeah yeah i i'm yeah it's for me notice that yeah, I, I, yeah. So I, I see an audience as like an organism. So there's just one. It's just one oh, audience. Yeah. So yeah. it's not hmm. a group of people. It's just like how do you then make the audience be a particular way? And I can read an audience within seconds of how they're going to be, whether they're going to be good, whether they're going to be loud. You know, like, you know, I do this stupid thing where I've been in front of so many people where I can, you know, pe- I, I do this thing where I pick people's professions based on their coffee order. <laughs> has nothing to do with the coffee. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. It's just like you can look at a person and just pretty much determine very quickly what they do for a living. Well. And I don't get it always right, but I quite <laughs> often get it right. And, um. and that's and so treating an audience, you know, like I'll, you know, in one week I'll work on a footy show, I'll work on like Q&A, uh, then I'll work on a comedy show and then I might have to do like this um, – big corporate event and do like a big icebreaker. Each one of those audiences is totally totally different. different. And so it's just understanding of like, well, what, 
where do you, where do they want them? Mm. Like, you know, in a reality show they want them absolutely just screaming out of their minds for no particular reason, you know, that they're so excited but they don't know what they're excited about. With a comedy show they generally want to laugh regardless whether it's a good show or not. Mm. Um, sometimes, like sometimes you look at a group of people, like, you know, like the smallest audience, you know, I've ever had to warm up was three people. Like what the hell do you do with three mm, people? Three people, yeah. Um, but there's always a way. That must you, be like an intimate chat with them because totally. By then, you know, yeah. And three of them had never seen football before, so really it was just one audience member. Mm-hmm. And so, and I like that. I, I, and that's the thing where people go. A lot of people try to do my job and they can't because they can't push aside their ego because it's not about you. Like, mm-hmm. like my job in that world is it's nothing. It's I'm there to do a job. I'm just like the cameraman, um, the producer. It's just part of I'm part of the role, mm. and you know sometimes I look at myself as an insurance package because the audience will probably be good anyway, mm. right? Yeah, you know, mm. half the time they'll be good, yeah. but I'm there to just ensure that they are. Mm. And so, and I and I've really enjoyed doing it, um, but also it's allowed me to stay in the industry I love, and also it's a skill I've developed. There was a great book, um, which I kind of kind of I wrote it. I was called by Carl Newport called. Um, don't follow your passion, and it's a it's a it's a confronting book to read, uh, but it's quite good. And it's just like whatever you do, why don't you just be the best at that? Mm. Be the best at that, and when you become the best at that, then see what else is next. So that's what I thought I'd do with warm up. Yeah, I was like, I'll be the best warm up guy there is, and and you know, some could say that's pigeonholed me to allow me to do other stuff, and I know that. But I just wanted to be the best at something like I'd never done that before, yeah. and so I was like, oh, I'm going to be the best at this. And, uh, you know, how long I'll do it for, I don't know, but I still enjoy it. So as long as I still enjoy it, as soon as I don't, I'm not going to do what I did with counsel and mm. and just wait until someone forces the hand on me. That's why I'm mm. looking at, you know, what do I want to do next? Yeah. What do I want to do? What else is creative? You know, I've always wanted to write a script or, you know, I've always, you know, had ideas to start another podcast, um, you know, all those kind of things. It was like, but you, like you said, I always use time as an excuse mm. and, at the moment now I just need to stop doing that because I can do that with kids and stuff but just with the time I have, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I probably shouldn't be playing golf but, hey, I need some downtime. <laughs> but, yeah, I think from that perspective I um, I uh, always think, uh, yeah, just whatever you do, be it in a warehouse or whatever you do, try and be the best at that because then you'll enjoy it more. You know, like I'm the best that's, at doing this. That's where I'm at. I know I don't have a job that I enjoy, but I'm going to be good at it. Yeah. Because who who knows what will come of it? Totally. And then from that, it'll allow you to, and then you can ask. Yeah. Like I think that's the it's yeah. always the one I was like, if I was 25 again, but I just ask, can I do this? No. Why? Mm-hmm. Oh, because of this, this, and this. Thank you. Yeah. Do you realize people don't people don't ask enough questions? Like young people, so twenty five year old, don't ask enough. I've never seen my friends ask questions. I'm always asking questions. What do you do? Where you at? How did you get here? What's your perspective on this? But it's also like I think it's different. I think it's a lot harder for younger people now being mm-hmm. lost in on the on the phone. Mm-hmm. But it's that's still the same thing. It's like you can ask over email. You can ask over social media, and also just having a genuine interest in other people. I think that's mm-hmm. also. Fascinating. That's why you've done the podcast. Yeah. Like, you know, that's, that's, that's part of it. And, you know, you've already had some amazing guests. Um, I mean, thank you so much for 
been one of them as no, well. No, I'm always it. surprised when people say yes. I don't know why. No, 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 no. But again, because you asked. <laughs> yeah. And you asked a couple of times yeah. and I had to try and logistically make it work. Yeah. And it's not – and that's the thing. Like quite often when people can't do it, it's just because they just generally yeah, can't right, yeah. or find the time. Um, but, yeah, it was nice to be in the studio. Nice to meet you both. Yeah. Nice to meet Thank you, Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. And uh, let's wrap this up, man. All right. All right. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks Bye, everybody. Guys. Bye.